0: Well, good morning. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I'm not just mouthing words to be nice when I say that it's, it's an absolute delight and privilege to be here. I, I think this is the third or fourth time we've been here. We were here a couple of weeks ago with a 10th anniversary. In fact, Harbor City is not um, younger. It's actually the same age. We're also 10 years. We just failed to celebrate as well as you did. Um, we just did it on the quiet. And... Um, Yeah, Jamie and Lisa, thank you so much um, and the leadership team for for having us here and showing some confidence in us and um, hoping that your hearts will be open to receive what we believe that God has placed in our heart for you. Uh, We have a very deep uh, affection for Jamie and Lisa and a very high respect for them. And um, we really are excited together with them to see what God is going to continue to do with Harbor City in the next 10 years. Uh, Apart from Sandy and I, Shane and Tara, who are good friends of ours, are here as well. They're part of our leadership team. A very gifted couple, a very governmental couple, and um, a a very generous couple, three Gs. So um, they're also with us. It's good to have you this morning. Thank you. And that that one-man band, where's that one-man band? That was outstanding. Yeah, I can't see you because you don't seem to exist. Uh, The the one-man went out. (laughs) But that was, that was really exquisite. That was, that was beautiful worship. Thank you. Um, so I understood the brief from Jamie that, um, you know, 2013 to 2023 to 2033, the next 10 years um, of, of Harbor City. And there was a, a slight temptation in me to be slightly edgy. And to go to ChatGBT and see what is the world going to look like in 2033, and let, let's be futuristic. Let's be foretelling about what it could be, and 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 let's look at uh, let's shoot for the corners of of what the church is going to need to be like in 2033 in order to address what the world is going to become. And I, and and I hope I don't disappoint you because I'm not going to go down that route um, because I really believe that um, the church that's going to be needed in the next 10 years. The church the world needs in the next ten years is the same church the world needs in 2023, is the same church the same church that the world needed in 1833, is the same church that the world needed in 1533, is the same church that the world needed in 1033, in 133, in 8033, because we're dealing with the same issues and we've got the same gospel. So if you came thinking I'm going to be really edgy and I'm going to foretell the future, um, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. I'm, I'm, I'm opting for, for a radical orthodoxy, that the orthodoxy of the gospel is radical in and of itself. And sometimes, unfortunately, as, as church leaders, maybe it's to try and get clickbait or to try and attract, we, we, we shoot for the, the fringes. And our theology gets a little bit wonky while we while we try to do something that's different. When actually the radical orthodoxy is good enough, the good news on its own is good enough. And if all of us in our various churches, no matter whether we're big or small, whether we meet under a tree or in a school hall or in a stadium, we the gospel is the same. And uh, the church that the world needs is is very consistent. And um, and so, what you know. Um, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 talks about the eternal gospel. The gospel is not seasonal. The gospel doesn't change with the century that we are in. The gospel doesn't change with the fashion that, that, uh, that's whatever in fad. The gospel is eternal. Revelation chapter 13 talks about the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. We're dealing with the same characteristics of God. We're dealing with the same God and his sacrificial nature. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine, it says, what has been will be again and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And we even see it in fashion. I have a wife who loves to keep things. She keeps things. Oh, I says, why, why are you keeping that? Why don't you just give it away? It's old, it's gone out. And she hangs on to it and she finds a box in the back of the cupboard and she keeps those old bell-bottom jeans and those boots from London that she got in 18-something, and, and I'm sorry, the 80s, and, uh, and sure enough, the fashion goes around, and she pulls them out, and she says, yes, you see, you see, I told you that fashion would come around again, and it's true. You know, we, 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 we're looking for something that's brand new and different, and so the radical orthodoxy of the good news wherever and whenever and however it is preached, proclaimed, presented, packaged, and explained remains the same. Whether it's done in person, whether it's done online, whether Jamie is here as a hologram, however it is presented, the gospel remains consistent to the rich or to the poor, no matter what language is being preached in, no matter what nation, no matter what context. We lived and worked in Mozambique for some years, and there's one particular church where we used to uh, park the car at the BP garage and walk across the road with our two kids and over the rubbish dump and along past the tavern. Well, it was right next door to the tavern and there was a small church and it was the same gospel. The gospel doesn't change whether you're preaching it in Dubai or whether you're preaching it in Mozambique to the rich or the poor, it's the same gospel. And the, and the church that the world needs now and into the future is a church that preaches the gospel. And so Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. That fact of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, the good news, the event that happened once upon a time in history remains that good news that we proclaim. It isn't fading with time. It isn't getting diluted with time. It isn't getting slightly tweaked with time. Yes, we might nuance the way that we present it, but the message remains the same. Whether we're doing it in a space station or on a space shuttle underneath the ocean, wherever we are doing it, the gospel message remains the same. As long as we are dealing with human beings, And so the way that I want to present this this morning is uh, the four points of a compass. Northeast, southwest is not going to change. And so I'm just going to make four points this morning. All right, I know often as as teachers we try to go for three, because that just seems to be the cool thing to do. So I'm going to be very uncool, and I'm just going to go with four points, the four points of the compass this morning. All right, Is, is everyone with me? So the compass is timeless. So the first one I want to say is the church that the world needs in 2023 and in 2033 is gospel grounded. I've already started to touch on that. That sin is sin. That the issue with the world that we're living in today is the sin. It's our problem. It's the core. It's the root. And we might try and call it a whole lot of things. We might try and dress it up. We might try and call evil good and good evil and sweet bitter and bittersweet. And we might try and try and accommodate certain uh, sin into the church or into our lives to compromise. Sin is sin, and that's our problem. And we are lost and we need a savior and we cannot save ourselves. And Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead is the means of our salvation. We need to be born again. We need a heart of stone to be changed to a heart of flesh. We need to be born of the seed of the DNA of God by the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're tracking me. We need the Holy Spirit as the paracletos who comes alongside. We need the Holy Spirit as the dunamis to empower us to do greater works than Jesus and the same works and greater works than Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We need to expect the supernatural. As the supernatural was there in 33 AD and has been throughout the cycles of history, we need the supernatural by the power of the Holy Spirit today. That's the church that the world needs. The gospel will remain costly and sacrificial as it was for the disciples and the apostles back then and as it has been throughout history where it's required the blood of martyrs and people to be sacrificial and to pack up their bags and go to the other sides of the world. I could hear my wife, grown when she heard that you've got environmental skills, was that, was that, or sustainability skills, like, oh, do we really need to lose someone as good as that, but the the gospel is going to be costly forever, to believe sets us against the grain of society, you cannot love the world and, and, and God, and Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, and so the gospel is going to make us unpopular, it's going to cause us to suffer persecution, Sorry, I'm having a technical moment here. Just excuse me. It's gonna remain costly. It's gonna require suffering. We don't go looking for it, but we're gonna suffer. We are required to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. The same gospel message back then, the same instructions, take up your cross, and if you aren't prepared to take up your cross and follow me, then you're not worthy of the gospel. That same costly dimension of the gospel is going to remain as it required today it's going to require into the future not take up your cushion not take up your air conditioning not take up your comfort take up your cross that hard with with um, uh, splinters uncomfortable cross it hasn't become softer it hasn't become easier it's never going to be easy I've mentioned more than once in our church when, when I was coming to Christ as a 13-year-old, I'd grown up in a Christian home, I don't have the testimony of I was drugging and doing all the things, but there was just a continuum in my life where for myself at age 13, I came to Christ. I realized that I believed this for myself and I remember sitting with my dad in his car outside of youth and, and him saying, it's, it's gonna be difficult. It was like, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for telling me the truth. So the world, the, 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 the church that the world needs today as it is going to be in the next 10 years is people who are believe, prepared to believe and be gospel grounded to the extent that we are prepared to sacrifice all for it. it needs to be uncompromised the gospel is never going to become woke it's never going to become popular it's never going to become democratic the truth doesn't change with the majority it remains the truth Whether we like it or not, God's truth is the truth. Whether we like it or not, whether it appeals to people's ears, whether it accommodates what the world wants or not, the truth is the truth. We cannot be woke. The values and morals of society don't change with time. God, sorry, God's values. Mark Sayers wrote a book many years ago called The Disappearing Church, where he had this thesis that if the church tries too hard to be too trendy and, and too accommodating of the world, it's going to lose its distinctiveness. And you won't tell the difference between the world and the church. It's like, which is the church and which is the world? Because everyone looks the same. It doesn't mean we could dress in a certain way. We don't have to dress as we did in the whenever. It could be nuanced. You know, Paul became all things to all people, but the message remains the same. We may present this unchanging eternal gospel in novel ways with new vocab and new platforms and different avenues and in the marketplace and in creative ways. and we know that COVID pushed us into very creative ways. We might do it with reels and with TikTok and what other, tech, other technology is coming towards us. But the message remains the same. We are gospel-grounded. Paul says, as I mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 9, I become all things to all men that they can be saved, To all things to all women that we can be saved. So we might present the gospel in certain nuanced ways, but the gospel message remains the same. The same as Paul when he comes to Mars Hill, and he says that there is the altar to the unknown God. He was, he was, he was meeting them where they were at, but the gospel remained un- unchanged. Paul in Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short. All of us have sinned and fallen short. That is the starting point of the gospel. No, no one escapes that. No one is born and isn't falling short. Every single one of us, whether are born into a wealthy family or a poor family, into a suburb or a township, whether we're living as refugees, whether we're in our hometowns, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us needs the gospel in order to save us. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, probably Paul's last letter, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not changed. So our first point, the north of the compass, is that we are gospel grounded now and in the next 10 years and in the next, if we get to 2133 or 2123 the gospel is going to remain the gospel. We've got to be grounded in the gospel. Amen? Is everyone, is everyone tracking that? The second is something that's, or it's, not, it's not coming out on the edge there. The east is lost. The east is falling off the edge there. But the word there is compelling community, and Jamie's already spoken to it. The church that the world needs is a, is a, is a church that is compelling community. And Jamie spoke about it. When we, are, when we are born into this world naturally with our parents, we are born into a family, good, bad, and otherwise, with all our idiosyncrasies. Every family's got their idiosyncrasies, I think. Was it just us? And when we are born again, we are born into a family called the church. And that becomes a compelling community. We share the same DNA. We're born of the same Holy Spirit. We're born of the same nature. We have the same father. and We bow the knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. So it doesn't matter what your surname is, whether it's Chetty or whether it's Watt or whether it's Kamalo, it doesn't make a difference. We are all born of the same father and that draws us into this beautiful, imperfect family called the church. Authentic, real, meaningful and deep. And when the church gathers, it is community. It's not a production. It's not a performance. Yes, excellence. And yes, we bring our expression of gifts and there must be leadership, but it's not a show. It's a place where we can be real. It's a place where we can drop our God. It's a place where we can be honest with each other. It's a place where we can be vulnerable. It's a place where we exchange our lives with other people's lives and take an interest in other people. Jesus says, John chapter 13, verse 35, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love. They might not believe the message. They might not believe Jesus is Lord. They might not believe Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, but they might jealously look over the fence into Glenwood Prep and see, my goodness, look at that community they've got. I wish I could be part of that. What do I have to do to be part of that? That's the kind of compelling community. And it isn't, isn't it ironic that as we as we live in a world that's more interconnected through The various social media platforms, we are getting more and more isolated and more and more drawn apart from each other. There will never be an age and there will never be anywhere that humans can go where they don't need or desire community. There's something that God has placed in the heart of human beings to desire community. There's community in the very Godhead, in the Trinity, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so compelling community is part of who we are. When we gather, there is belonging, there is comfort, there is support, there is generosity. There is enjoyment and lots of laughter. It's an inclusive environment. It's a, very, it's a radically inclusive environment. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about radically inclusive. I'm amazed. You know, one of, one of the burdens that you carry when you're a full-time pastor is people say, so what do you do? And you say, I'm a pastor, and that's just a conversation stopper. Boom. Yeah, everyone, you can, we were just, we just went to Sandy's cousin's 60th a few weeks ago, and when when the pastor, you know, the brother-in-law walks in, everyone says, oh, mind your language, she has the pastor, you know, oh, we got to clear up, clean up our act, they haven't got the gospel, the gospel is for sinners, and sinners are for the gospel, it's, we're inclusive, we're not exclusive, we're an inclusive community that radically includes those who think that they are on the outside, who think that they are unworthy, and when the As with Israel, which was called to be a light to the nations, according to Isaiah, when we as the church just become a self reflecting light inside the four walls of our community, and we don't take that light and say, Come to the light, we are called to be a light to the nations, we are called to be a light to those around us. Jesus worked through community, He was inclusive. He had his three, he had his 12, he had his 70, he had the woman who was supporting the ministry. Jesus worked through community and we know from the book of Acts, a great example of the church operating in community, in homes, sharing life, a sense of awe, gathering in public places, and synagogues, in homes, getting together. Always with the message, there's space for more. Andrew Thompson, who planted the church in Caton Church on Maine, he had that phrase when we first planted, there's always, there's always room for one more. Whatever we're doing, there's always room for one more. Be inclusive, invite, be a compelling community. That's what often what draws people in. Sometimes people get community before they get the message, before they get the gospel. And that's fine. That's what's gonna win people over. That's the church that the world needs in 2023 and in 2033. Amen? The wine is in the cluster, not in a single grape. And so we need gospel-grounded, We need compelling community. All right, you're tracking me. So we've got north and we've got east. All right, south, radically reconciling. I've said reconciling, not reconcile, because I don't think that the process of reconciliation, I'm talking here horizontal, is ever going to be a a complete, we've done it, we are transformed, we are reconciled. It's always going to be a journey. We are constantly going to be in the process of reconciling everywhere where there's a divide. Because Satan loves division. He loves to bring division between families, between family members, between churches, between races, between languages, between tribes, between genders. He loves to bring confusion. He loves to sow dissent. He loves to cast aspersions over that tribe or that language or that people group or that economic group. He loves sin divides us. But the gospel radically brings us together. It's a radically reconciling message, and we need to be a radically reconciling community that is gospel grounded. That was a mouthful. We we need to build a bridge and heal every divide between every division. And I don't think I need to outline it and and, and illustrate it too much, whether it's between men and women, whether it's intergenerational. We don't have to bow the need to generation gap. That's that's an invention of the world. It's It's not a biblical concept. Between races, between tribes, between language groups, between economic we know that in, in South Africa, a lot of the division that is now happening has crept into society, as less racial and more economic. We need to bridge every divide and any other divide that you can, that you can think of. But the, the, the church that the world needs, needs to be a radically reconciling community. Remember that the gospel originally was preached into a context that was hugely divided between Jews and Gentiles. We read those words in Scripture, and they read very easy. They're part of the the text. But we realize that when we talk about the Gentiles, we talk about the Greeks. We talk about the barbarians. We talk about the Scythians, those who were living a total different life. They were living by a total different set of values. They didn't have the the moral integrity of the law of the Jews. And these people who were barbarians, they were considered uncouth. They had a sexual ethic. They didn't have a sexual ethic. It was anything goes. That The age of the gospel, the sexual ethic was of, of total compromise, and yet the gospel invited them in. Not to continue with that, but for Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled into one body in Christ was revolutionary. It was radically reconciling. And that is the kind of community, and that is the kind of church that Paul is speaking about. And which so much of the New Testament and the epistles is dealing with. And we need to make sure that we are building the kind of church. And I know I'm I'm, I'm speaking to the converted here. So pretend I'm speaking to another church. But the church needs to be the place where we are radically reconciling every division and every divide. We know Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. As I said, you can, Jew and Gentile, when you actually double-click on that and drill down as to what that meant for the Gentiles to be included into this new body of believers alongside Jews, it is absolutely radical. Neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. And we need to make sure that we are building the kind of church, the kind of community that is according to God's plan, the kind of blueprint that Paul outlines. Chris Venon, some years ago, his dad was a builder and um, he said that his dad was very fastidious, and if they built a wall, and they might have been at the top of the wall, and their wall was not straight, he would say, tear it down, start again. This wall is not straight. I'm not just going to try and patch it or pretend. I'm go- you're going to tear it down, and you're going to start again, and make sure that you build straight. Now, I'm not referring to you, and I'm not referring to any particular church. It might be us, but we've got to make sure that we build according to the pattern. What is the church that God is building? What is the church that God is building that the world needs that's going to, that's going to be a a provocation to the world. And then we need a church that is not only reconciled and reconciling, but is united as churches. One of the worst witnesses of the church is the division between churches. It's a real blemish on our CV as church. The people look at the church and they say, well, how can we believe you guys are so divided? And so hopefully in the next 10 years, as churches, we move closer to each other And I think there are so many things happening around the world and in South Africa and in Durban with churches moving closer together. So we mustn't just berate ourselves. I do think there's a huge amount happening in terms of unity. But unity is sacrificial. Unity is difficult. Unity requires maturity. And you know what? I really do believe that we are moving along that continuum. We're not there yet. We know the prayer of John chapter 17. So we need a church that's reconciled within itself. It requires humility. We need a church that is multi, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generation. We need agents of reconciliation in every sphere of life that we operate in, from the church. So whatever workplace we're in, whatever context we work in, it needs to be us who are, who are believers, who are pointed out as the ones I think that they can help. They can bridge the divide. They, they, are, they come from a reconciled community. They can help us. Whether it's in school or business and society, we, are, we need to be those who are the reconcilers, recognized as the bridge builders. You know, this is going to sound very unspiritual, Jamie. I'm really sorry. But do you know where we need to be like? Okay, there's no Greek or Hebrew to this. We need to be like a shoelace. The good, humble shoelace. Just think about what a shoelace does. You hook it in on the one side and you hook it on the other side and you pull it together. And then you hook it in on the other side and you hook it on the other side and you pull it together. If you only weave the shoelace down one side of the shoe, it doesn't work as a shoelace. It is stubborn, it is basic, it is humble and it does its job. Just think about your shoelace. What would it be like if we took our shoelaces out? How uncomfortable our shoes would be flopping and clopping and tripping and we'd be falling out and our holy socks would get exposed. Those embarrassing holy socks, not holy like it's holy. Our shoelaces, we need to be like shoelaces, consistently hooking in on one side and consistently hooking in on the other side and pulling people together. We need to go out of our way to listen to stories that are different to our own. We need to go out of our way to listen to to perspectives that are different to our own. To realize that maybe what I thought I knew is not everything. And maybe there's a whole lot more for me to learn from someone who's different to myself. And I had them pegged as that. But actually when I listened to their story, I realized, no, it's not that, it's this. And you know what? We get enriched in that process. And that needs to be led by a radically reconciling community. I I, I really believe that in 2021, when we went through the riots here in Durban, I really believe the church played a leading role in in various communities to try and bring people together. I, I think the church was very commendable in the role that it played. But this is not gonna be surprising for you, but it's hard work. To be a a radically reconciled community is hard work. It's much easier to spend time with people who are the same as you. It's much easier to spend time with people who have the same background as you. They support the same rugby team. They went to the same school. They they wear the same clothes. They drive similar cars. Your kids play together because they go to school. It's much, much easier. And monocultural churches grow faster than multicultural churches. It's an unfortunate current fact. Maybe that will change in the next 10 years. But it's hard work. It takes us out of our comfort zones. It requires sacrifice. It requires effort. It requires shutting our mouth and opening our ears and listening. It requires adjusting some of our mindsets and understanding things we didn't understand before. But we're talking about the, the church that the world requires, that the world needs. We need a radically reconciling and that often can lead us to another layer, another form of repentance where we say, my goodness, I thought I knew this. And now I realize that I was wrong. I actually need to adjust my thinking. In, in 2015, when, when, when Durban was in the news for all the wrong reasons, for the xenophobia that broke out in Durban, the church pioneered a, the, the Durban dialogues where there were conversations that took place between different groupings within Durban who were fighting. And when they, those groups sat around in a circle down at Glenridge Church with, a, with a, a facilitated discussion, we actually realized that, hey, everyone isn't as far apart as we thought. And the church took a lead. And that, that Durban Dialogues actually became a United Nations-sponsored program. And there were, were contexts where the United Nations observers were sitting and watching the church lead a process of reconciliation. I'm not quite sure how to read this silence, Jamie. okay so so far we have said that we are a gospel grounded is the church that the world needs now and into the future that it is a compelling community now and into the future radically reconciling and the fourth and the final one is kingdom focused A church that is kingdom focused. I think Eugene sort of said it in the introduction. Looking outside, beyond ourselves. The church is not the kingdom of God. Sometimes we mistake the church with the kingdom of God. The church is a vital component of the kingdom of God. It's a vital outpost. It's a headquarters. It's a training ground. It's a place where we are empowered and envisioned for the kingdom. But the kingdom does not, we don't have the kingdom of God here today. And then we walk out of the kingdom of God into life. Yes, there are aspects of the kingdom of God that are here, and you want it to be in the church, but there's so much more to the kingdom than just the church. Are you you tracking me? The the church is a vehicle through which the kingdom is advanced. The church at times is gathered, like it is now from 10 until whatever time you finish. Jamie said one o'clock I should finish. This is the church gathered. And then we're going to, some people say "scatter." I don't like the word "scatter." We're going to be deployed. We're going to be deployed to DUT. We were studying our fourth year final year, sorry, not fourth year, final year of, of engineering. We, we're going to be deployed to go and do whatever job we do. We deployed into the schools. We deployed as financial advisors. We deployed as car guards. We deployed as, as, a, as a father and as a mother in the home. We deployed to go and advance the kingdom wherever we are. This is where we're equipped. This is where we're envisioned. This is where we are anointed. This is where we worship and we align and we right size before God. This is a place of refreshing and encouragement, but this is not the main game. Sorry, Jamie. It sounds That sounds so bad. It's like a soccer match. You've had the first half and then there's halftime. And then they go, you go into the change rooms and I don't know what happens in the change rooms, but there's generally a team talk. And maybe there's a whiteboard, and they go through and say, you need to move over here, and you need to stop doing that, and you need to do this, and, and this, and then has some Powerade, or has an orange, or has some water, or an ice bath, whatever you do at halftime, and pat each other on the back, and, and come on, let's go, Boka! the Pirates, let's go! Banana, banana. Then they go out onto the field, that's where you score the goals. You don't score the goals at halftime. You don't score the goals while you're in the change room. But what coach, Jamie, what coach would ever say you don't have to come to the team talk? Just stay out in the field, go and hang with your mates in the stands. It's absolutely vital that we go down the, down the tunnel to have the, to have the change room talk. And sometimes a change room talk could be harsh. Stop doing that. Stop giving away yellow cards. Stop giving away penalties. Sometimes it's comforting. Well done, you're doing a good job. But it's absolutely vital that we go for the half-time break. That's what we're doing now. That's what we do when we gather like this. But then we go out back onto the field, and that's when the goals get scored. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in the change room. It happens when you go back out onto the field. So when you go out this afternoon into your home, into communities, tomorrow, to work, wherever you go, that's where, the, that's where we are the advancing the kingdom, wherever we are. There's that scripture in Exodus chapter 31 and 34 to 36 where Bezalel, where God speaks about Bezalel being anointed with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge for all kinds of craftsmanship. In other words, the Holy Spirit was anointing Bezalel to work with his hands, to be an artisan. So he can anoint, the Holy Spirit can anoint you for law. The uh, the Holy Spirit can anoint you for teaching, for engineering, for whatever it is that you do, even financial advising. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion, rule in the earth. That word dominion or rule means to cut a path in a forest, to bring order out of chaos, and to create culture. So let me just show you a grid here. Let me just show you this one first. The kingdom of God, that's our heart in the middle, the black spot, the heart that needs to change, the heart of sin. The kingdom of God, first of all, the kingdom of God is within. It comes into our heart. We get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. We get a revelation of ourselves as sinners. We get a revelation that we are saved by faith, by grace, and our heart changes from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and we begin to change. We begin to change, our heart changes, our mind changes, our values change, our relationships change, our lifestyle changes, and our influence changes. The kingdom of God first is within, and then it works out through those various concentric circles. It doesn't just get contained inside our hearts. It then works outwardly into the various, it has has influence from the inside of us outwards. Does that make sense? And Bill Johnson in his book, Invading Babylon, speaks about this okay this is gonna this looks like looks like maths or science it looks a little bit like school but just he speaks about the three aspects the church the gospel and culture if we have the church but no gospel and we're just engaging culture but there's no gospel then we are getting into liberalism if we are the church and we have the gospel but we're not engaging culture then we're just fundamentalists if we are the we have the gospel and we engage culture, but we don't have the church, then we are parachurch. But when we have the gospel and the church and we are engaging culture, that's the kingdom message. It's holistic. It's all three of those, and that's ultimately what we need to be aspiring to. If we're going to be the church that the world needs now and into the future, does that make sense? I'm sure Jamie will decipher that and explain that. And so the mandate. The mandate of God, as it was in Genesis chapter 1, as it repeats it in, in, in Matthew, is go and make disciples of all nations. It's bring the rule of God into the world. Get everyone to do as I have designed you to do, to obey my ways, to, to walk in relationship with me. That's the church that the world needs. Abraham Cape have said this there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ who is lord over all does not exclaim man so jesus is not just after the church he's after the whole world the people every single aspect of society god wants to have influence he wants to bring rule He's not scared off by science. He's not scared off by environmental issues. He wants to be invited so he can bring his rule into every single aspect of life. And each of you are equipped to do it in your particular sphere of influence. And you can ask to be anointed for your particular sphere of influence. That is the church that the world needs. Where the church is gathered and then the church is deployed into our various spheres of responsibility and influence. We need to be outward looking, we need to engage and aim to influence every sphere, sorry, every sphere and sector of society wherever you are. If you are a stay at home parent, then you're being called to raise godly kids. That's an that's an expression of the kingdom. We need to be city facing churches. So it might be community facing, it might be Glenwood, it, wherever you live, we need to be sitting city facing churches, churches that look outward to our community where we live and say, what is broken and what must we do together, collaboratively, to bring change to where we live? Does that make sense? It's no good having good church and fantastic. Fantastic worship like this morning, an amazing community here under the tree with incredible cappuccinos, and then walking past all, post, all sort of forms of abnormality in society, and then coming back next week for a time of devotion, and going back and tolerating all forms of abnormality in society, blocking our nose because there's sewage in the streets, and closing our eyes because what's happening in society is so bad, but then we come back and have fantastic worship, and then we drive back past, we, We've got, to, we've got to have our eyes open and we've got to have our eyes on what's happening, and we've got to do what we can with whoever in order to bring change. I think the last time we were here, we said, "What would the kingdom of God look like in Durban? Or what would Durban look like if the kingdom of God broke in?" It cannot just be good church meetings. It must be that. When revival, we're praying for revival at the moment in Durban. That's the theme that's coming through in United City prayer, is revival. Absolutely agree the church must be revived God must come near but if it only ends with revival where society doesn't even know that revival is taking place then we've, we've, we've stopped short the revival that comes must lead us towards reformation and influence in society sure that's a mouthful I've said a lot I'm nearly finished love your neighbor as yourself Love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds like a Christianese. It sounds religious. But love your neighbor as yourself. So if your neighbor doesn't have water, what would it be like if you didn't have water? If your neighbor doesn't have food, if your neighbor doesn't have access to equal opportunity, if your neighbor doesn't have access to education, if your, ex- if your neighbor doesn't have access to justice, take it on as if it's your problem. Sure, that is a mandate. But that's the kind of church I believe that the world needs. is a church that, is, that takes on and looks for the needs of society and, and takes on what they can in order to bring the rule of God. Salt, light, and leaven. Salt preserves. Salt brings taste. Light brings clarity and direction. And leaven brings influence three band-aids for the church so the four points the church that the world needs the church that we endeavor to be as harbor city in 2023 2033 2043 2103 if for those who'll be around is gospel grounded is a compelling community it's radically reconciling and it's kingdom focused The same message that's been required, the same church that has been needed. The message is not changing. We present it differently. The issues of society might be slightly nuanced or they often just go around in cycles. But that, I believe, is the church that the world needs. And I submit that to you as our contribution. So Jamie, would you mind if if I pray? Can I ask everyone to stand? I need your permission. Father, Creator, designer, you desire to to rule in society, you desire to rule this world, you made this world, Lord, we are, we are we have sinned and we have fallen short, and we are making a mess of your world, and the outworking of sin is is Evident every single day, not only in our own hearts, but in society all around us, Lord. And we need a Savior. We thank you that we have that Savior in Jesus, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. This is the gospel, this is the power of God to save. We thank you for that message. We thank you, Lord, for every person here who's bowed the knee to that message. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to have a family, the same as in the natural, we desire to have a family, to have offspring. We thank you that you have always desired to have a family that carries your name in the world and carries your values and carries your surname into the world, Lord, and brings your rule into every sphere where they operate, Lord, so that it can go well with us, so that we can live a blessed life, so that we can fulfill that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desire that, Lord. But the world is so opposed to this message. The world is so rebellious against you and your ways, thinking that we know more than you, thinking that we know better than you. And it only leads to more mess, to more broken relationships and broken marriages and broken people and broken society, Lord. We repent, Lord. And yet you've called your people, Lord, to be a light to the nation and the nations. For us to be salt, for us to believe and to have influence, to bring your rule. Lord, forgive us where we have fallen short. Forgive us where we have fallen short of being a light to the nation, to the community, to those around us. We pray today, Lord, that you would envision us and that you would empower us with understanding and with revelation and anointing, Lord, to advance your kingdom wherever we are. To advance your influence, Lord, to be bridge builders, to be reconcilers, to be healers, to be problem solvers, to bring leadership to society, to bring leadership to communities, to bring leadership to spheres and sectors of society, Lord. And to bring your rule, to bring your light into darkness. The church is not an outdated concept. The church is your pillar of society. You have not changed your plan. And you're not going to change your plan. This, this church is your bride. And you are preparing your bride to be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And we are part of that bride, Lord. And so we pray that you would empower us. We pray that you would enthuse us. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint us to be the church that the world needs. Not on their terms, but on your terms, Lord. That we can bring salvation. And we can bring your kingdom and your ways. Festival in our own hearts. Then aren't working in our minds and our lifestyles and our values and everything about us, Lord. But then ultimately into society, Lord. The world doesn't know that it needs the church. The world doesn't know that if we took the church out of society, we would die. And so we thank you, Lord, that the church is such a pillar of truth in society, Lord. Help us to be strengthened in that truth and that conviction, and understanding of the gospel in our own lives and its application all around us. So we pray even today, Lord, for fresh understanding. We pray even today for fresh anointing, Lord. And I pray for Harbor City now, Lord. I thank you for 10 years, Lord. I thank you for the courage it took to plant. I thank you, Lord, for the lives that have been changed. I thank you for this very, very rich community, Lord, that you have, that you are constructing, that you are pulling together. But we thank you, Lord, this is only part way through the journey. There's a future that you have for this church, Lord, a future, Lord, that is a a future of increase, a a future of expansiveness, a future of influence, Lord, a future of of conviction, Lord. And so we pray that over this church, Lord. We pray for Jamie and Lisa and the elders and the deacons as as they lead and they serve in this community, Lord. We just pray every blessing over them, every empowerment, every provision, everything that they need, Lord, to do what you have called them to do at this time, in this place, and into the future, and wherever you may lead them, Lord. We pray every blessing over them, Lord. We pray for increase. We pray for expansion. We pray for influence of this church, Lord. We commend them to you, Lord. We thank you for them, Lord. What an absolute gift, what an absolute delight. Sometimes we we don't see ourselves well, Lord, until someone else comes and holds up a mirror and say, look, look at you. So we thank you for this community today, Lord. We bless you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.